It's great to have you joining us on Radio Free Georgia's In Tune to Nature program. I'm host Carrie Freeman coming to you in October of 2023 from Atlanta in the Muscogee Creek Territory in the Piedmont region in the foothills of the Appalachia Mountain Range. Today, we're going to be talking with the journalist and author Anders Gyllenhaal, who co-authored the book, A Wing and a Prayer, The Race to Save Our Vanishing Birds, a fascinating book that details attempts around the Americas to identify and reverse the causes of a sudden and massive decline in bird numbers, including some more controversial solutions. Co-authors Anders and Beverly Gyllenhaal are veteran journalists who've worked for decades as reporters and editors. Beverly was a feature writer, then food editor, and finally syndicated columnist and cookbook author. Anders was an investigative reporter at the Miami Herald, then went on to lead newsrooms in Raleigh, Minneapolis, Miami, and Washington. He's long been active in journalism circles, serving on the board of the Pulitzer Prizes, Society of Newspaper Editors, and Journalism Funding Partners, a new startup that's supporting local news across the country. That's important. Their website on their book and what they're learning from birds is flyinglessons.us, flyinglessons.us. Anders is our guest today to talk about the book. A Wing and a Prayer is the captivating story of a cast of characters, including scientists, birders, and other outdoor enthusiasts working to save birds set against the loss of a third of North America's bird population in the past 50 years. Authors Anders and Beverly take us on a journey covering thousands of miles, much of it in their Airstream trailer, to find inspiring rescue missions all across the hemisphere, but also discovered how much more can and must be done to halt these dramatic declines. Welcome, Anders. Well, thank you so much, Carrie. It's a pleasure to be here. Now, I understand that you and Beverly were already bird lovers, but how did you decide to write this book and put your journalistic investigative and storytelling skills to use in the bird conservation movement. Sure, right. Well, yeah, we we were falling for birds uh, for the in the last over the last decade or a little bit more than that. We were living in Washington D.C., you know, surrounded by high rises and, and concrete, and started to need to get out of the city. And we just started to get fascinated by the birds we'd see on the eastern shore of Maryland or the Shenandoah Valley. Uh, and and it gradually just you know sort of typical curiosity we w- wondered well what what are all these species and we we knew some of them of course growing up but but we realized there was so much more there so we began to follow birds up and down the coast on weekends and then as our full time work slowed down we began to realize that there was more than just uh, you know the the sport of chasing birds. There was a fascinating story behind them because they were in trouble, as we all all know. So we began to write about that for newspapers and magazines and our website. And that's what led to the book. Yeah. And I like the point you make at the beginning of the book that since we care so much about birds and birds are perhaps an inspiring species to garner the public's attention and spark needed changes, like maybe more so than declining fish species or declining insect species, and, and like you use the metaphor that birds are like the canary in the coal mine. If the if the uh, metaphor is the coal mine is our world, you know, yeah. Yeah. our our environmental problem that like that they're a, also a useful species to tell us about environmental decline. Sure. Well, there's just nothing like birds, right? When you stop and think about it, they're captivating. They're beautiful. They fly. We're jealous of that, aren't we? Yeah. 
and and they are so interesting and they go back many species a hundred million years to the days of the dinosaurs so they've survived you know the millennium uh, uh, all kinds of catastrophic uh, changes on earth to today so they have a connection to people because they're also everywhere I mean they're in cities and the countries and and on the open seas up in the mountains and in swamps so so they sort of we sort of think of them as speaking to us in all sorts of different ways, which is why I think they can maybe help lead us to to some extent to ask the questions that we try to address in this book. Yeah. And I like how you titled the introduction chapter, What the Birds Are Telling Us, like to indicate that if we pay attention and we research the bird situation, we're going to find out the problems that urgently need addressing. And I know that you did that in some scientists, um, or you're talking about um, a scientific report called the Three Billion Bird Report, and it was published yeah. in the journal Science in 2019, and that was maybe kind of the impetus for the book. Yeah. What did that Three Billion Bird Report tell us? Really, really interesting study, unlike anything before it, because basically it was always guesswork. How many birds are out there? It was it was hard to tell because birds are always moving and flying and migrating. And yeah. so it was never possible to to pinpoint how many birds there were beyond guesses. So the knowledge was there that birds were in decline, but there was all kinds of different theories about whether that was happening or not. And what happened was using a series of different new technologies. And that's a big part of the story, too. Uh, they uh, a group of different agencies from the Cornell Lab of Ornithology up in, in upstate New York to various government agencies, universities got together and figured out how to count birds for the first time. They used a variety of different methods, some of which were sort of these traditional bird counts that are done every spring by expert bird listeners, all the way to weather radar, which is, it turns out, possible to to scope the number of birds moving just the way the same way that that you do with rain and they figured out that there have been roughly in North America about 10 billion breeding birds and a third of them have disappeared over the course of 50 years so this was a profound discovery that documented a, a crisis that's ongoing and and that it also showed some of the ways that it's possible to try to address this within you know the modern landscape that is part of the issue here with so much of the land now being devoted to populations and cities and, and suburbs and farms that changes uh, the, the landscape for birds and is part of one of the reasons that there's declines are taking place. And I know, and this is, you know, and what was interesting to me is that you, you talked about how this came as a surprise even to the researchers, because we're hearing all the time, like, oh, animals are you know, in trouble and everybody's, de you know, declining. But <laughs> this wasn't just a regular like, oh, now we've counted it. Now we know even the scientists were shocked at how many that, you know, three billion of those 10 billion birds are no longer here. So this was like a little bit different from the studies that that just show like, oh, these particular birds are going extinct. This is like all different right. kinds of birds, except maybe some of the the ones that hunters protect like duck and geese, ducks and geese, some of the birds are not yeah. in decline, but most of them are. So it's yeah, not just the study of extinction because we're used to hearing about right. extinction. 
Sure, about 50% are in decline. And it is not about extinction because extinction remains somewhat rare What for birds. But what's happening is the overall abundance is going down at a pretty right. dramatic rate. And yet there are pockets of, of success stories. And there's some interesting stories to be told in that too, because what's working, for instance, for bald eagles that are, are way up and vireos are up. And also, so are hawks. So the generalists among birds, birds that can function no matter what is happening around them are succeeding. And those birds that are very much dependent on their environments for the for the insects and for the plant life that they live on and for certain type of trees that they need to nest in, as those things change, those are the birds that are are hurt by all that's happening in our environment. Right. And what are the main causes of the bird populations getting smaller over the years? And in some ways, it's it's a simple set of dynamics. In some ways, it's complicated. So basically, the loss of habitat is the primary cause. I mean, we've 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 lost half of our wetlands. We have lost uh, about the same percentage of our grasslands. Our forests have turned over and changed uh, over the course of the last century. So all these things are sort of pulling the rug out from underneath birds and other other wildlife. At the same time, as there are are new pressures, the rise of city lights. Uh, that that kill about a billion birds uh, a, a year. Cats, feral cats, kill uh, another almost two billion birds a year over the course of of that time. The 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 shifting climates have an impact on birds as the migratory birds, which is about a third of the population, are getting off the clock, the very set clock that they work under, returning to their breeding grounds a little bit too late. Uh, uh, and and some of the changes that are taking place within the flora and fauna, all this is kind of combining to to put this enormous pressure on birds. And birds are very sensitive. So birds have lived forever and managed to survive and evolve over time. But they also, uh, you know, are so much dependent on this environment that's changing that that's what's the, what's taking place with these populations. Right. They're not used to all these lighted glass buildings and all the power lines and all the vehicles and then the chemicals and then the shifting climate and then the lack of habitat. <laughs> like, that's right. Yeah. That's and right. I also liked how you pointed out, too, that even we can maybe try to fix some of the habitat loss here in the United States. But for a bird that migrates like to South America, if we don't also help out the South American countries or all the different countries around the world where these birds migrate, it's, they're still going to decline, you know, like right. in and, Ecuador and, and, and because yeah, there's and, birds that migrate. So, so, but the subplot of all this is, okay, so the, the environment around us has changed mostly from our making, but there's also all kinds of ways. And these are the stories that we try to tell that you can coexist with birds if we just want to do a few basic things. And a great example of this is the farmlands. So yeah. farms, you know, basically have turned over the surface of the land that the birds depend on and caused a lot of loss. Grassland bird populations are the down the greatest. But at the same time, farms and ranches can can do a few things, put in invasive, uh, get rid of the invasive plants, put in natural plants, the native plants, 
to remove pesticides, create an environment that's both healthy for the farms and ranches at the same time as it can support birds. And there's a movement afoot to try to, to, to bring this about in a broader way. So we write, a, we write about that. You know, the bald eagle's recovery, our, our, our national symbol had almost disappeared. And then we realized, okay, if we do a few things, in this case, get rid of DDT, which was killing uh, bald eagles and a lot of other, the larger birds uh, by interfering with the reproduction system, they have since come roaring back, even in, 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 in the fact that they, they're dependent mostly on the waterways, which is where a lot of development is, but there are more than a almost a half million bird, eagles now when there had been down to just a few hundred. So we're, we show in this, in this book all sorts of ways that if we are willing to coexist with birds, it's quite possible to do that. Not all birds, not everything, but in general, there's a lot that can be done if 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 we just pay attention to this information that, that we're now able to to document because of science and technology, like the, the you know the study that showed what we had lost. Yeah, that leads me right into my next uh, yeah. question, which is about opportunities, because there was a quote that I had from you that says. Quote, we were struck by the twin forces at work. The collapse of many species comes at the same moment as advances in technology, gen genomics, and new conservation tactics are providing new ways of protecting and preserving birds, unquote. Do you want to first list some examples of the kinds of technology or genomics that you profiled in the book, and then maybe just take a minute or two to expand sure. on one of them? Yes, of course. And this is at the heart of things because yeah. we sort of see this as a, a yin-yang situation underway where the technologies, we're able to track birds. We didn't used to be able to do that very well. Tracking devices have gotten so small they can ride on the backs of hummingbirds. Uh, we, we have um, a whole new system that's in place now called bioacoustics that can let the technology listen to birds all across very difficult places to get them. And we tell the story of the the um, the owls in California, the spotted owls that were in sharp decline now are being stabilized by listening to where they are spread across the Sierra Nevada mountains with listening devices that pinpoint where the owls are and figure out how to protect those areas and, and avoid predators. Uh, so th there's a whole series of technologies for tracking and following at the same time as genomics plays the role of sort of peering inside the the the, the biology of birds and figuring out well what's causing trouble and we tell the story out of Hawaii where uh the uh the, the beautiful honey creepers that are way up in the in in the mountains now are under uh pressure from uh, uh mosquitoes carrying um avian malaria killing off these birds, they figured out how to try to erase the, the reproduction of mosquitoes to try to save these birds, moving us into sort of the genomics of, of, of all this. And we end up that chapter telling the story of an effort to, to try to um, 
clone uh, birds and, and, and try to bring back uh, some lost birds that have already gone extinct. Like I won't go too deep into pigeon. that. <laughs> the, the passenger pigeon is the yeah. is the is the test case there. So the span of technology is quite enormous and quite impressive, and still early stages in a lot of ways. But shows that if we want to, you know, if we're willing to 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 recognize the the tremendous, uh, you know, services and beauty that birds give us, we can we can stabilize them and maintain them and in many cases even bring them back. If you're just joining us on Radio Free Georgia, this is In Tune to Nature and I'm host Carrie Freeman talking with journalist Anders Gyllenhaal, who co-authored the book A Wing and a Prayer, The Race to Save Our Vanishing Birds. He and his partner Beverly have a website on what they are learning from birds and it's flyinglessons.us, flyinglessons.us. Anders, I know you talk in the book about the need for better funding for bird conservation efforts. So this is kind of, you know, from what you were saying before, like, oh, birds are so important and we have ways that we can help them. Okay, let's invest in that. One estimate that you cited was that it would take $1.2 billion a year in investments to safeguard habitats and stop extinctions. I don't know if you can speak uh, to the notion of, okay, how are we going to fund this or will we fund it? Right. And we make the argument, and I think it, it holds up pretty well, that the investment in conservation is worth every penny because of, you know, the enormous services that birds provide. Why should we care about birds? You know, they basically uh, are, are the workhorses of our environment. They, they, they spread the seeds, they pollinate plants, they clean up the refuse of, of nature. Uh, you know, they do all kinds of things that keep our world working and without them, things begin to fall apart. So, you know, the, the question of, of, of whether it's worth it, I think is, is, is a very important one. Uh, and so, you know, there have been efforts over the years to try to protect birds, but those have faltered. We've we sort of moved away, and there's controversies around how do you fund conservation, uh, and and so the question is, is the investment worth it? The figure that you you mentioned, 1.2 billion dollars, just happens to be the amount that Restoring America's Wildlife Act, that's pending before Congress right now, would provide to help birds that are in, in need of the the. The, you know some of the habitat restoration, the the protections that might be in place, and and all all, all the relative the costs here, which are not that high in a relative you know, in a right. relative way. So that's pending, and and it's kind of gotten stalled in the Senate. Passed the House last year, uh, would make a huge difference. Uh, and we've you know in the past we've been willing to spend this money, and when when we have we have. You know, we've come up against you know the sort of the political juggernaut that exists in Congress right now for this. But what's interesting is that across the the spectrum in in the U.S., there is you know wholesale support for conservation. If if uh, we can just make the argument that this is going to help you, the person, you know, the 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 people benefit enormously from a, a healthy. Uh, bird population and the environmental services they provide. Right. And that's the Restoring America's Wildlife Act that you mentioned. So we'll have to keep track yeah. of that. And then also, you know, you you talk about how um, 
the fundraising also for conservation often falls onto like taxes on gun sales and hunting licenses. And so that that means decisions also in wildlife and the money kind of comes from those who hunt and kill birds and other animals. But then we do need an outlet for those of us who are just like into camping and hiking and bird watching, which is most of us, to also fund wildlife conservation, too. Yeah. And and, and this is a, another story that we tell, which is the development of Ducks Unlimited, which is basically provided you know, a model that could work for any number of different kind of species that has, uh, you know, that works based on on a, a series of couple of different taxes that that hunters uh, provide uh, on ammunition, bows and arrows, guns, all goes to conservation that supports game birds. And this has been the most successful conservation effort in, in history. And, 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 you know, in the midst of all these habitat declines, ducks and geese populations are up 50%. It tells you what you, you need to know that if we're willing to fund, and in this case, the funds go to providing those national wildlife uh, refuges, that the 500 of which are spread across the country, that benefits a lot of different uh, wildlife, but chiefly it's aimed at the areas where ducks and geese are. Now, so the question is on... On other fronts, why aren't bird watchers willing to pay uh, a small tax for on binoculars, perhaps, or uh, um, cam cameras, all the tools that are needed? Bird seed, $4 billion in bird seed is sold every year in this country. A tax on that could help to keep those birds out there, but it's run into uh, opposition every time it's come in, into Congress in, in the in 1990s. It got very close to passage really makes sense. Uh, the hunters look across the aisle and say, why aren't these bird watchers paying their share? We pay our share. And so that argument has come up again and again and really needs to move forward uh, in any logical world that's looking at what's happening. Th those funds are needed and could could easily help make up the, the difference that's being lost right now. Yeah. Although I do want to say, I'm sure those hunters, if they didn't have all those taxes already in place, they wouldn't be like, hey, give me a tax. Because well, you know, so sometimes it's just like when things have already been in place, we kind of, yeah, uh, they perhaps it's in the hard to get a new one. Although I'm willing as somebody who who is an outdoors person, but in a non-lethal way to be taxed for this. I want to find a way to be able to not only provide funds for this, but then have a voice in wildlife policy that I don't really have right now, because we have very lopsided, you know, wildlife policies that then um, go towards where the money comes from. And it's for those who kind of yeah. consume wildlife. So yeah, I, I like that you addressed that we have to find other ways for the general public and nature lovers to be willing to, you know, provide yeah for that and to also reinvigorate the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service and um, who really needs to not only just um, deal with the, you know, ex endangered species, but help prevent all the species loss. As yeah, the and the Endangered Species Act is, a, a, you know, a part of the, this book, of course, as well. It turns 50 this year in December. Yeah. And, and uh, it's a really interesting topic because it has caused all kinds of species, not just birds, but others to, to be stabilized over time. 
but it is it is not up to the task now because so many species are in need of help and the, the funding for the Endangered Species Act has remained, uh, actually gone down a little bit yeah. uh, at a time when it needs to be increased because those those tools, when a bird is or other wildlife are on the edge of extinction, that's a very costly way to have to try to confront it. If we were willing and able to focus on a bird's decline before it gets to the sort of brink of the thing, then it would be uh, not nearly as expensive. And that's a shift that we discuss in the book as needing to be considered uh, among other things. We, we, if you look over history of, uh, of birds in, in this country, every time they've gotten into trouble back when the ducks and geese first got into trouble or when uh, the, the bald eagle got into trouble and, and at various points, American people have always stepped forward and done what needed to be done. And we're at that juncture again. Are we willing to do the things that are going to keep birds around us is the question the book poses. Yeah, I think that's so important. Well, Anders, we only have a minute left, but can you share from the last chapter of your book some ideas of what listeners can do if they're interested oh, yeah. in being part yeah. of the race to save our vanishing birds? Yeah, and thank you for that question. And thank you for your time. This has been really interesting to talk with you. I, the book ends with an afterword that lists uh, more than two dozen things that just anybody can do. Some of those are are pretty simple and obvious, like in your own backyard, uh, putting in native plants, which are so supportive of wildlife and birds in particular. Um, you can you can get on, um, on on supporting some of the agencies, the nonprofits, Cornell and Audubon and American Bird Conservancy and Ducks Unlimited that are out there doing th- this work. Um, simply having a backyard feeder is an important contribution to this, and and then keeping your cat indoors uh, because those are a, a crucial piece of, of this equation. I think there's you know a so many different things that you can do supporting uh, birds that we, you know, put them all on the list. And they're also on, on the website as as well, uh, flyinglessons.us. We have a whole section devoted to here are the things that anybody can do. You can also uh, use the tools, the technology tools, eBird and, and the Merlin Bird ID uh, help you figure out what birds you're listening to and keep track of birds, but they also provide data that Cornell uses for conservation purposes because all those people reporting what birds they see creates a map that allows uh, the scientists to figure out well where is where is help needed and how do we make a difference in trying to protect our birds. Yeah, like we can be citizen scientists. <laughs> yeah. Yes, it's a very important thing, and we just, we we uh, have we devote a whole chapter to the development of these tools that are both, you know, helpful to you as a birder or a backyard a bird watcher, at the same time as you can contribute to to science without doing very much at all. It's just keeping track of the birds you see is really quite quite profound. Well, that's the end of our show, but I want to thank you, Anders Gyllenhaal, for being with us on Radio Free Georgia's In Tune to Nature program. Thanks for the work you and Beverly are doing to help sound the alarm that we should appreciate and prioritize the lives of birds and work strategically to protect their habitats and help them thrive on our planet once again, as they did for tens of millions of years. Well, thank you very much, Carrie. It's been a a lot of fun to talk with you. Thank you. And to our listeners, thank you for tuning in to In Tune to Nature, broadcasting every Wednesday at 6.30 p.m. Eastern Time 
online at wrfg.org and on Atlanta radio station 89.3 FM. We post action items, news, and podcasts on the show's website, facebook.com slash to nature. The views and opinions expressed on the show do not necessarily reflect those of WRFG, its board staff, or volunteers. I'm one of those volunteers. I'm host Carrie Freeman, asking you to please support independent, non-commercial media like Radio Free Georgia. And remember to take care of yourself and others, including other species, like the birds vanishing from our backyards. Thank you for listening. Cheers.